Guestbook Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're doing well out there and you're safe. Coming to you live. Union Inn, 1112, 3rd Street, Northeast. Steps from Noma Gallaudet Metro. Brief walk to Union Station and a leisurely jog to the Capitol in Capitol Hill. Part two, ladies and gentlemen. Back by popular demand. Actually, back for the third time. <laughs> this is Repinto, Leela Dunn. We got questions for you. But first, what do we listen to, Leela? This song is by Tanarawin. I'm not actually sure if I'll pronounce it correctly, but it's called Tumas Tincha. And why'd you pick this one? I I just love listening to them. I, I can listen to them in the background for hours, and it's just got such a... It, it reminds me of, of deserts and just sitting around and making music together and just kind of into the afternoon. And van life? It doesn't so much remind me of van life because I wasn't listening to it as much then, but um, but yeah, it would be a great soundtrack for, for van life. Indeed. We'll get back to that at the end of the podcast because I definitely want to talk to you about van life. It's something that myself and a friend of mine... Uh, we did like a dive on YouTube for like four hours just looking at people that have been doing van life and the allure of it and uh, how different people go about doing it. But yeah, let's get to the doc. So the last time that you were here, it was, I want to say, exactly a week after Election Day, November 10th of 2020. Uh, and about two months later, there have been a number of things that have happened, of course, across the country since then. Uh, so first, I wanted to find out uh, what have you covered since the last time you were here? What uh, what have we covered? Um, I think we did. We've been working a lot on the structure of our documentary and the story and and what, what our findings have been. Um, we've been to. I mean, we've been to D.C. a couple times as well, mm-hmm. and since i think since last time what we've been doing is trying to build on that structure and have the questions more articulated in a way that 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 is good enough for the documentary to for it to come across for the audience okay but it, it it's been more of a technical situation in the last month than a half to two months don't you agree yeah, well, we and aside from following what has been happening politically and filming that and doing some interviews here and there, we have kind of taken a step back from being out on the streets filming protests every single night like we were so that we could actually look at what we had and try to construct something that um, will be fluid and, and make sense to the viewer. Okay. Is the doc still going to be episodic? No, I think that's changed. Um, we don't want to make it episodic anymore. We want it to be one big documentary at the moment. Okay. And you have a lot of film. We do. So when it's all said and done, is this doc going to clock in north of three hours? Funny you ask. Uh, I want it to uh, be around three hours, around three hours, I think. Um, I I think we have enough action and and impactful interviews to keep the user engaged at this point i mean we've what do you think yeah i mean i think three hours is kind of what we have in our heads right now and it it may change we don't want to lose someone's attention but we also have a wide breadth of information that we want to share with people so 
as it as it stands right now that that seems to be the length that we're shooting for wow and when we last spoke you had said that because you're from portland or at least that's where you live now and the amount of footage that you had from portland and the protests that had happened since then that uh, portland was going to play a significant part in the the protest doc if not uh, things will be put in context in relation to the things that happened in Portland. Is that still the case? I think I think we've gone further down the rabbit hole at this point um, to say that uh, there are aspects of Portland that are going to be in the documentary, but we also want to use similar things that we've learned from Portland in other parts of the country or the world um in a way that shows that this is this is a human struggle and and not necessarily anything that's nuanced or specific and part of being able to really see into those issues is being able to have different places or different vantage points that you can kind of play off of each other because it gives you it allows you to see more than you can if you're looking in just one little microcosm. So we definitely have explored Portland quite a bit, but now with our our few trips to DC as well as in um, Wisconsin and Philly, right? Um, yeah, we did. We did. We went to Philly and Chicago briefly. Um, LA. So it's, oh yeah, we've been to LA too. So it's it's definitely broaden quite a bit okay what is the overarching theme of the documentary right now the overarching theme I think is the fallibility of man and how fallibility of man is what really you know what I think you can talk about this a little better yeah I mean I would would say the strengths and fallibility although fallibility is is something that I I guess we do focus on Um, because with any of these issues of of politics or with race there we all have blind spots in what we're what we're seeing um, and what's and what's happening and I mean there are so many different types of prejudice as well um, that can take place so some so by comparing different types of prejudice sometimes it allows you a different framework to see something more clearly um but yeah we're so that's that's the overarching theme but we're doing that within the setting of the events that we've witnessed within the last year um all the protests in portland as well as what's been happening politically and um what happened on on the 6th here in dc okay and and that's also more objective in a way that we're not tackling one specific issue that has so many nuances in it. Rather, we're talking about a theme of mankind that leads to all these problems and issues. Yeah, in our prior episode, I brought up about the tree with the root system, and you had said that you didn't want to talk about one root system. You kind of wanted to talk about, not even necessarily the whole thing, but sort of the junction points. Is that still the case? It is to an extent, but it's less become issue related. What I mean by that is, you know, uh, opportunistic, the opportunistic mentality of man, okay. whether it becomes, whether it's through politics or race or, you know, far left or far right, people always use whatever they can to push their agenda, whether they know they're 
they're doing it or not you know people want a purpose people want people want to protect what the, what's theirs and their values and all this stuff and and that is more of a theme in the documentary than the protests or black lives matter or or the far left or you know antifa or the far right um we want to show something that is indicative of reporting the issues of man than to say why this is happening. Yeah, and our goal is also not to prove any one thing. It's more to show uh, the complexity of perspectives that we've uncovered and kind of play them off of each other. So it's it's the goal of that is not to say this is this is what's happening, but to sort of unveil all of the different facets of how people are thinking about these things. And so it kind of reaches outside of, of the echo chambers that we're often so stuck in. So the goal is to show the 360 of both sides and then let the viewer make their own choice. It's not a choice. I think the goal is to show the 360 of all sides and realize it's such a complex issue that we can't keep making up our minds so easily and there are so many things that come into play i think yeah i'm sorry when i say choice i don't mean a choice of which side i'm going to side with i mean the choice of whether or not to receive that and then have it impact my viewpoint of things absolutely okay a couple more questions um how does january 6th fit into the documentary i think that's a great example of 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 the other side of portland I guess, in a way of people being pissed off at the the system or not refusing to accept something because they believe oh, that Feeling it's wrong. disenfranchised and unheard and a lot of a lot of the same behaviors that generalization here but that but largely that same group that we witnessed on the day of the the Capitol riots were condemning all summer during the protests. And so it was, it was interesting to see a lot of the same elements come up of how, how people were behaving, how people were reacting, um, when people felt justified to do something or the other. Um, do you feel that the actions of some of the people that attended the quote unquote Save America rally ultimately went to the Capitol? were objectively wrong. I think that there there were I mean there were actions of violence. There was there they did break into the building. They a few lives were lost and there were a lot of other people that were were fearful of their lives and those those acts are undeniably wrong. I mean we're exploring the different things that bring someone to that point but it's but it's not to say that that is justifiable yeah so the reason i'm bringing this up about if there are things that were objectively wrong because in the absence of saying that there are things that are objectively wrong how do you guard yourself against falling into the slippery slope of false equivalency right because in the absence of saying this is objectively wrong then how do we measure the actions of what brought somebody to this point and the actions of what brought somebody to this point to create the tension or the conflict that we had because then it's like there's no baseline from which to gauge the amplitude of what somebody did was more wrong or less wrong than the other person whereas if we have a baseline of hey these things are objectively wrong then we can then say hey look you know the cop shot that guy because he crossed the street. Well, he was jaywalking, right? 
that's a false equivalency. And I think we can objectively say that's a false equivalency, right? Correct. But in the absence of saying, hey, it's wrong for somebody to shoot somebody, we can't say that that's a false equivalency. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, it's not a baseline. It's more of a, there's levels. And on each level, there's a certain equivalency mm-hmm. that can be met. But one thing can relate to something else. But even if it's similar, another thing cannot. Okay. So if in your documentary, you come to a, a situation where on one side, they're at level, and it's completely arbitrary. They say level three of, you know, reasonableness. And the other side is level two. How do you go about explaining that discrepancy so well, that you're not showing a false equivalency? I mean, we're also not trying to, we're not trying to show an equivalency. It's not, it's, I mean, we're if we see sort of similarities we're we're showing that but not in the way of like oh well no this is the same thing that's happening over here it's if it if it's uneven it's uneven we so so if a cop shoots a guy for crossing the street it's just shown and that's it we are not even showing any of that okay it's more here's a good example when they uh broke into the capitol building you know it's more like when you're in a crowd you know, you have that energy of the crowd that's pushing you through in a way, the adrenaline's up and all that stuff, and you do things that are not really thought out. And that, from the from the Capitol building protest, um, is the same with the stuff that happens in Portland. I, I mean, mean, that that can also be explained in, in terms of, like, crowd psychology. And I, I think that... I mean, I I was kind of going through the tweets that that Trump set out on that day as well to pick apart the the different moral foundations that he was that he was hitting and and to kind of see why what he said why people reacted to what he said in the way that they did and one of the things that I noticed was that he like after. Th- people had already breached the Capitol, he had kind of confirmed that like our our party is the party of law and order. And so when you have this group, we I think we assign ourselves to these groups because we we think that they're aligned with us morally. And then once you're in a crowd, if you feel like the the purpose of the group is moral, like this I'm I'm within with this group, this group is the moral group, then you start to have a diffusion of responsibility for the individual and then individual acts that people do, they're not as aware of what they're actually doing because they think that it's for the greater good of this group. And so one thing that I noticed about the tweet that Trump sent out was was kind of reconfirming ours as the party of law and order like ours is kind of the moral group mm-hmm. and so it sort of fed into that it served that crowd a- mentality where people were engaging in ways that they probably wouldn't un- other un- under circumstances but were kind of swept up and and you know and I do think that there there were definitely there were individuals there or groups organized that did have intentions of doing what they did and i think there were a lot of other people i mean you saw people just walking through the capitol building kind of touring too you know so there was definitely a variety of intentions and and reasons people ended up there but okay so it's basically january 6th as it concerns um its relation to your documentary its inclusion in the documentary is more so the document herd mentality uh, that's an example i mean okay. we don't necessarily know but okay. at the same time we're trying to portray things that people will more readily accept like the fallibility in herd mentality and and that's the objectivity we want to keep not just take that issue and and 
pick it apart to see if this happened or that happened. And from what we documented on the 6th, we we wouldn't have a definitive answer onto the the real motives or, or the, the main actors behind what happened on, on January 6th. And so it would be... I think it would be misleading for us to try to portray one thing or another because it would it would just it would be very subjective since we didn't we haven't we we, haven't we, we weren't able to see that in a way where I where I would feel comfortable. Okay. Um, in our last talk, uh, we had mentioned about um, there's a certain percentage of America on both sides that is too far gone. And when I say too far gone meaning they're not receptive to either hearing the other side or hearing an opinion that's contrary to theirs. They've already made up their mind. Okay. In the two months since we last talked, whatever your preconceived thought was of the relative size of that group of people in America, has that number changed now? Um... I think that yes or no. I don't think we can give an answer because we don't really know. This is this is a subjective question that I'm asking each of you all. Okay. Almost not even in relation to the doc. Um I don't think I don't think so. I mean, I so I think there's I just recently watched a documentary that's fantastic. Um it's called White Right Meeting the Enemy uh, by Dia Khan. Or she, she's the one that uh, produced the film, and it's she's a a Muslim woman, self-proclaimed lefty leftist, who goes around and she meets members of the far right, and she is able to get people to reconsider at the very extremist level. So I personally believe that it's 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 not that there are some people that are too far gone to reconsider but it 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 takes different things and different conversations and i think that what our film the demographic that our film is aiming at are probably not the people on those extremes but the people that are kind of a little bit more in the middle that are trying to figure this out and are willing to consider not to say has that number gotten smaller over the last two months in your personal opinion in some in some ways there has been more polarization but also like for instance talking about january 6th there were a bunch of um people from the republican party just not not people within government but people that um describe themselves as as republican or conservatives that witnessed the events that happened and it was something that they really didn't agree with and so they are kind of in this moment where they're sort of reconsidering their what it means to be a part of that group and so that in itself offers an opportunity for a little bit of uncertainty and a a willingness to reconsider so there even there though there is definitely undeniably a lot of polarization that it's making it more difficult for people to have these conversations i think that there are a lot of people trying to figure out and some what they can do and and how to have those conversations and even i mean a lot of people's families are split too and that's that's one one tie that you can't it's a little bit more difficult to break and so it's another reason to to want to figure out how to communicate so yes or no in your personal opinion do you feel that number has changed over the last two months 
Let me give you an answer and then see see if it works for you. Okay, it's, um, it's a yes or no question. It, it's not. It's. I mean, I. You know, that's yes or no questions are normally like something that a lawyer would ask when. It's, well, no, I'm saying because I understand there's nuance to it. No, no, but okay. So this is this is why it's not a yes or no. Let's let me say that. Okay. 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 It's because when you look at Diacon, that's a great example. There's a certain level of people that are not intellectually capable of understanding enough to comprehend the the dynamics of this other than that even i just don't know if i believe that anybody's too far gone anymore as much as not even uh, as as they don't even necessarily have to be at a certain intellectual level but right emotions reaching reaching them is like making sure that whatever we say reaches them mm-hmm. is our responsibility yeah and and i mean dia khan was talking to you know white supremacists and 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 she was able to, as a Muslim woman, reach out to them, mm-hmm. and and I would highly, highly recommend that and see that perspective. So there are people that don't believe that the moon landing happened, right? What if the only way to convince them would be to take them to the moon and show them, in some way, shape, or form, that hey, the moon landing happened, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe Elon Musk has something up his sleeve, but uh. I doubt that uh, moon travel from the United States, I'm sorry, from Earth will be at such a level that the everyman can go if they want to, right? So for that reason, you can say, yeah, you could reach that person, but the way in which you'd have to go about reaching that person is not going to be at all feasible in their lifetime. Is that person too far gone or not? Yeah. They are. Yeah. Okay. So along those same lines, if what you're saying is, well, it's not that the number of people who can't be reached has changed. It's more so we could reach them, but in all likelihood, it's going to be infeasible and it's probably not going to happen. Isn't that person then too far gone? I don't like the word too far gone. But well, I'm yeah. saying, yeah, I'm saying that these people are not receptive to having their mind changed. A group of people doing a documentary, you can only do so much to change anything. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a fine balance of what we can do with, with our resources. And we hope that that the people that we change their minds in terms of being a little more objective and seeing these issues can spread that word. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had this conversation or when we, we interviewed Q recently and he was talking about the fact that a lot of times, even if you have information that you want to convey to a person, you might realize that you don't speak the same language. And I'm not talking English or Spanish, but the way that you communicate about the, wor- the world or the vocabulary that you use or the way that you even connect to a person. And so sometimes you might not even be the right person to get that message across. Yeah. And so I think that there and there are all sorts of lines that make it easier to connect to someone, whether it's um, familial ties or even things like art, you know, mm-hmm. where it, it the intersection of people crosses those boundaries of um, left and right or white and black. Yeah. And those those things can be other ways to kind of cross those barriers and give someone the opportunity to be willing to reconsider. Gotcha. And I hope that the information that we that we portray in our documentary gives people who are willing an opportunity to reconsider. Mm-hmm. But I we are trying to reach as many as peop- many people as we can with this instead of 
focusing on the most difficult cases, if that makes sense. So over the last two months. <laughs> you still want to guess or no? Yeah, I, I appreciate you explaining that in the sense of, okay, so it's not so much about these people being too far gone. That's that. It's more so the interface mm-hmm. through which they can be receptive to having their mind changed is so hard. Okay. Has the difficulty of achieving that interface increased in your heads over the last two months? I would say the difficulty has changed. That's that's my personal opinion. Okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the percentage of people that's I, in my opinion that's not the right way to yeah. frame frame that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the difficulty has changed, but we are also catching up pretty quickly to reduce that difficulty with everything that we are researching and gathering. So it's 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 up and down. Okay. And I think because it's it's become such a dire situation, there are a lot of people that are looking for that opportunity. There's definitely a a, a group of people that want to find a way to communicate. Uh, people who want to find a way to communicate so they can reach other people or people who actually feel, hey, I'm not that receptive and I would like to work to try to be more receptive. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of both or it's or it's just maybe it's not even maybe people aren't even at that conscious level yet but Mm -hmm. they they see what's happening with the people around them and with uh, the people that they're connected to uh, through internet platforms and they are looking for some different way about going about things cool all right last thing for seven questions redux uh van life okay so after you moved back to the states a few years ago you spent about a year living out of your van yes i did okay did you run into a fair number of people who were also living out of a van yeah i did i i have a pretty large community of people that are travelers or um whether that means traveling abroad or traveling throughout the states or kind of going from from job to job so i have met quite a few people did you have the same type of van the whole time i did and what kind was it I actually converted a Honda Odyssey, mm-hmm. uh, so it was it was a little bit more attuned to. I I could I could go on weekend trips very easily in it, or I could drive from location to location, mm-hmm. and I was more than comfortable. I built a bed frame, and I had a lot of storage underneath. I put a cooler in there. I had some nice lighting, but it wasn't it wasn't the the full spectrum of of what you can. What you can really dive into in vans. Okay. Van uh, was actually a, it was a 2001 Honda Odyssey. So it looks very inconspicuous on the outside. You, uh, yeah. you, you picture, you picture a soccer mom and you don't yeah, really, that's, that's a, which, which actually made it really easy for me to, if I wanted to take a trip into the city, mm-hmm. I, it was really easy for me to take my van there without it gathering a lot of attention or without worrying if someone was going to break into it or kind of inspecting it any further did you specifically pick out this one or was this like a van that you already had and you're just like hey i'm I, just gonna make it work i i was actually looking for something of the same variety partially because that's what i could afford and um and partially because they're easy to fix they're they're affordable you can they are inconspicuous mm-hmm. so i i was i was looking for that and I, I think that if I 
once I make more money, I would, I would love to have a van that I can really fully, fully deck out. Even if I have a permanent residence, I, I still love taking trips to the mountains and being able to kind of have that spontaneous type of adventure. Out of a given year, percentage wise, how many nights did you actually sleep in the van? Out of that year, most of them. Okay. I, I, I don't know an exact number, but I... You you'd mentioned before about you tended to someone, one of your friend's farms. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that was during this time. So you just parked your van, but you were using the shower and facilities and cooking facilities at their place. I mean, I, I, I still slept in my van okay. and I, I would definitely make use of facilities if they were available to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to, I mean, I, I had a little shower that I could hang up outdoors, but if I was at a place that had a nicer shower, I'll definitely make use of that. Cool. Were you primarily on the West Coast this entire time, or did you travel the entire U.S.? I only was on the West Coast, uh, partially because I had been abroad for about five years previously. So I was one of the reasons for coming back, and one of the reasons that I wanted to stay in the van was because I wanted to spend time nourishing my connections with family and with friends. And a lot of them are spread out. They're not in one location. And so having the van provided me an opportunity to... Uh, to visit everyone and also to not be as burdensome as a guest because I, I was bringing most most of what I needed with me. And so it, it allowed me to really focus on those relationships. And also it afforded me the ability to do that without having a lot of overhead expenses. Yeah, low cost. All right, and I'm going to close it out with this. What was, I guess you could say, one of the unsung benefits of living the van life? And one of the unsung drawbacks of living the van life. When I say unsung, I mean like people wouldn't think to think that this is a benefit or a drawback. That's interesting. Um, I, yeah, I mean the kind of the freedoms that it affords you is is a bit obvious, but I really enjoyed always having a place of of privacy and having my personal space, even if it was a small back of a minivan, but having that and having my things of comfort there. And even if I needed that for just 10 minutes, if I was, even if I was driving from one place to another and I was a little bit sleepy and I had to pull over, I had my bedroom right there. And so I was able to just take a nap in my, in my bedroom, which was really great. I guess. Yeah. Cause throughout that entire time, you're never too far away from your home exactly gotcha and what about a drawback um drawback drawback is sometimes depending on on where you're at the the circumstances can be a little bit more challenging i i like i said my van wasn't fully decked out so you know i would have i would still have to find places to use the restroom for instance and that's not always that fun when you're on the road um yeah, I guess and you can't fit a toilet in there. Nope. Not <laughs> yeah, not not in my minivan. Um so that that was something that that could be a little bit more frustrating. Um and also sometimes if you couldn't this happened more if I was visiting cities, but sometimes you couldn't really find a great place to park and so then you're kind of sleeping in the middle of a truck suburban stop. street or oh. or a truck stop or so yeah, sometimes the Sometimes the um, location could be a little bit challenging. Yeah, van life friendly places. Or if your van breaks down, that's Ooh. that's obviously. Oh yeah, because you gotta take it to a mechanic, right? Mm-hmm. 
That's yeah, cool. although Hondas, you know, Hondas were pretty easy to fix. So yeah, especially around those years. All right. Thank you so much. Real quick. You ready for the seven questions? Redux. I think so. All right. What's no. it called, what? y'all? It's the questions. It's the questions, boy. It's the questions. It's the questions. Yeah, the questions. Question number one, book to add to the library. Last time you said The Righteous Mind, and that was your selection. So, Thissera, how about you? Ooh, um, I don't know. What do you think? I'm blanking here. I, I mean, I have, I have another suggestion. If Okay, that's fine. Um, how to have impossible conversations. Yeah, I think you had mentioned that. Tell me about it. It is a very good comprehensive guidebook for learning how to have difficult conversations with people that you disagree with. It's I, what I really like about it is it's very it's very practical and step by step. So um, even since we last spoke, my I recommended this book to my father, and he's started. Um, an online chat group where he's he's actually working his way through the book with with the people in his chat group to oh, wow. to try to learn these skills. It has a lot of really really useful techniques. Okay. Uh, by James Lindsay and Peter Boghossian. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. Uh, this is a self help book on how to argue effectively, conciliate and gently persuade the authors admit to getting it wrong in their own past conversations the world would be a better place if everyone read this book okay came out in 2019 awesome question number two podcast to subscribe last time we had the endless honeymoon podcast how about this time this or a um i'm gonna go with the second date update what's it about it's about people that um couples that go on their first date and then don't talk and either the guy or the girl, girl will call back to the radio station and and try and yeah it sounds like date lab on the washington post where every guy gives a four and every girl gives a three even after it's the best date she's ever been on it's just it's just nice to like just watch listen to some random thing that's just not related to the topics we cover so it's it's really sweet and lighthearted and funny yeah. and it's 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 also just a, a, an interesting glimpse into people's worlds because the types of dates that people go in into and even the way that they communicate with each other and the things that connect them is 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 really it's really fun to to listen to. All right, it's on podcast one. Question number three: something you didn't know you needed till you got it. Last time we had a good film producer. So is this one going to be a good film director? I don't think <laughs> that's our answer. <laughs> well, he gave the answer last time, so I guess it's your turn this time. All right, a cat. A cat. Okay, you're a cat lady. I do. I do love cats. How many do you have? I only have one. I just recently got a kitten. Okay. What's his or her name? Her name is Finley. Finley. I my housemate and I refer to her as Young Finley currently. <laughs> she's what? she's an absolute delight. What breed? Ooh, uh, that's hard to say. She has many colors. Hmm. I think it said like Torby. I'm not even really sure what the, what that means exactly. No worries. I saw I saw somewhere that that they said um, lovers of dogs will always say like, oh, this is this particular breed, da, 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 and they'll hmm. have a lot of information, and then then cat lovers are like, uh, black. Like that's the you know. literally. Yeah. Um, last night I did a podcast. And she has three cats. 
And that's exactly what she was saying. She's like, I don't know the breed. It's, yeah, you, you describe them by color. It's, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. But yeah, she's she's a good good source of, of light in my life. Okay. I like it. Number four, bucket list place to travel. Last time you said Tokyo, Japan. That was Thysera. So, Leela, you've been all over the world. Where are we going? Ooh. Um, we were talking about Turkey earlier today, too. Turkey was a... Turkey is a really interesting place in Istanbul. It's got so much history and it's also in between so many different regions of the world. So the people that find themselves there yeah. are quite diverse and it's it's a very, very intriguing place. All right. Uh, number five, 50 mile detour restaurant. Any place in the world you're willing to go 50 miles out of your way just to eat there. Last time we had Curry Corner in Seattle, Washington, the chicken korma. That was Thysera's recommendation. You got one for us this time, Leela? I guess if I give a shout out to a restaurant that I used to work at that I really enjoyed the food. Okay. It's called Tea Bar. A T-E-A? It's just a tea period Mm -hmm. and then bar. Okay. It is a tea bar and it's also a a fusion cafe. So they have uh, rice and salad bowls and wraps and you can get like salmon, chicken, tri-tip tofu, lamb, and there's a bunch of different dressings. Wasabi ginger is delicious. Nice. You get some some vegetables on the side and different sides like edamame and miso soup and a full loose leaf tea menu. And also they have teas that they, they have sparkling teas um, and like smoothies and, and milkshakes. So they kind of do what Starbucks has done with coffee, but with tea. And it's it's really delicious. There's a lot of a lot of really good options. No worries. That's great. Is it in Portland? It is not in Portland. Uh, they now have a couple of locations. When I was there, they only had one, and mm. that one is in Chico, California. Okay, where are you from? All right, let's close it out. Uh, number six and number seven. Number one skill, number one talent. Last time, your skills for Thysera, it was adaptability, and for Lulu, it was also adaptability, but it was kind of learning new skills, right? Kind of a subset of adaptability, if you will. Um, do you want to update that? Change that? Nope. At least. Yeah, no, yeah I, I agree with that. I think that okay. I also, um, communication is, is something that I am fairly good at, that I'm continually learning and, and getting better at as well. Okay. So communication is what you want to go with? Sure. Okay. And last but not least, your talents, uh, for Lila was drawing and painting. And for Thysera, it was stealing other people's ideas well that's definitely still true so you got to keep that okay uh for both yeah sure all right thank you so much yeah for coming back welcome. i know you guys have been running around and you've been doing work out here yeah to, to get this doc right make sure you film all the, the the things that need to be filmed and interview all the people that need to be interviewed so i salute you and i double thank you for coming back onto the podcast carving out a little hour for me to be able to talk with you and get an update yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us again. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, still Spectral Inc. Films, or at Spectral Inc. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can you spell it first again? S-P-E-K-T-R-A-L-I-N-K. All right. And as far as the doc, uh, are we still trying to go Netflix? Um, yeah. Okay. And do you foresee a release date in 2021? Yeah. Probably towards the end of this year at this point. Okay. Good. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you want to reach me, 
innkeeper at uniondc.com and the website is the suffix uniondc.com and uh, if you want to reach me on social medias at guestbookpod for the podcast at uniondc for the in and at innkeeperfreddy for my personal where you can see day in the life again Lula thank you so much for coming on ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week I did part of the Trans-Siberian Railway, and we we went into Siberia, and we were very close to Mongolia, and I just really, really enjoyed the region and wished that I had had some time to explore there.